As you are being seated, if you brought your scriptures with you, turn to the third chapter of the Gospel of John, and we're going to continue with our uh, progress through that Gospel to see ultimately how we can see eternity in everyday life, because John really talks about having eternal uh, life right now, and that's what we want to do. Um, this passage is an interesting passage, and, and basically, I, I haven't got a great sermon for you this morning. I... I um, the passage is really about humility, so it, it strikes me as rather uh, appropriate that God wouldn't give me anything great to say to you this morning. Uh, I mean, I really wanted to wow you, so you can see really how great a preacher I am, but, uh, but on this passage on humility, uh, what we'll do is just have a kind of a running uh, um, commentary. Um, I'm kidding about the great preacher part. Um, the, the passage is, is, a, is a summary Really, a, 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 I mean, it's, it's, it's a passage in its own, but, it, but its placement is kind of a summary of the contrast between the word and the witness. So that we can see the greatness of the word, but the role of the witness. That is, the, John the Baptist as the witness. Um, and, and what I want you to see this morning is the fact that God uses the, the, the part that we play. Um, it's nothing in comparison to him, but it's... It's valuable in itself. One of the things that you'll see is, as you uh, uh, later on in the service, some of you are going to be coming forward and, and, uh, because we've, we've put cards on the back of all the chairs so that sometime during the service, whenever it strikes you, you could just write down something you do well. Um, God has given us all gifts and talents, spiritual gifts, and there are things that we just do well. And those are wonderful gifts from God. We shouldn't be ashamed of them. We should be glad about them. Uh, last night, when we, when we had the kids in here, Miss Elner um, g- gathered them all up and said, Now, how many of you can think of something that you do well? And for every kid that could think, of course, all of them could, you know, for every kid that could think <clears throat> of something that they could do well, we gave them a crown. Because the Bible says we get crowns for, you know, different things. Um, and we're going to go there later on, too. And so for every kid that, you know, had something they could do well, like, you know, color or whatever, and, and got a crown. And then, and then, we, then, then Ms. Elner said, well, we're going to worship now. And so it says in the Bible that, that in the presence of Jesus, that, that everybody laid down their crowns. So, so we, we, we just appreciate if you leave your crowns here. And you could just see on their face, I just got this crown, you know? <laughs> so this is as many of them as we got back. I don't, <laughs> it's tough, you know, laying down that thing. But we're going to be doing that later on. Okay. Start with me uh, with uh, uh, verse 22, if you would, please. And just let me uh, give kind of a running commentary on these scriptures. You remember last week uh, that it was a scripture about being born from above. You know how many people came to Christ last week. Just swapping their life for the life of God. It was really, really great to see. And then the scripture goes from that scene from Nicodemus into life as usual. And in some ways as it was. Even though something profound has happened, it's life as it was. It says, after these things, Jesus and his disciples came to the land of Judea. That is, they went out into the countryside. And there he was spending time with them and baptizing. Now, Jesus himself, it says in the next chapter, verse 2, wasn't doing the baptizing. His disciples were. Uh, But yet he was present with them. Now, look at this. This This is just an odd verse when you first look at it. And John was also baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was much water there and they were coming and were being baptized. Now you're thinking, look, 
if Jesus is here, how come John's still baptizing? How, John, how come John doesn't look at him and say, boys, we're going over to Jesus? You know, because that's how I came for him in the first, first place. I just came to get everybody to Jesus. How come he's still baptizing? Okay, keep that question there. Read on with me, though. It says, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. And there arose, therefore, a discussion on the, par, on, 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 on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. That's, that's the rite that involves water and, and, uh, and, and, and largely the symbol of the baptism back then. <clears throat> and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you, he, now they mean Jesus, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have borne witness, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. Now let me tell you what's happening here. This is such an interesting passage. In the first place, this, some of you had questions last week about the people who come, came forward to be, to be born again. And you said, what's up with that? You, and, and some of you said, I was baptized. It is, I mean, is that, isn't that the deal? And the answer is, no, that's not the deal. That is part of, of the symbol of the deal. Uh, but let me, let me make sure we all understand what baptism is and why both Jesus and John were baptizing. Baptism is a symbol of cleansing, but ultimately, if that cleansing is not a spiritual cleansing of God living inside of us, it's just a symbol. It, 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 is, it doesn't have any power in and of itself. Baptism is the foreshadowing, or it's not the necessary prerequisite of what God is going to do, nor is it the necessary um, um, confirmation of what God has done. But it is a symbol of that spiritual indwelling that erases the filth within. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a symbol of, of God replacing this old dead self with a new self. Romans chapter 6. We have died with Christ, and if we've been buried with Him, water, we shall surely be raised with Him. That's the symbol of baptism. Now, what's going on is that John is participating in that anticipated spiritual cleansing. So if you've been baptized, that's wonderful. That's a matter of obedience. That's part of how we point to God. But baptism itself has no, listen to this big word, soteriological effect. It has no, it has no saving effect in and of itself. It simply points to what God is going to do or has done in us. And that is that. See, if our filth is inner, uh, then, then the Spirit must be the one that cleanses us. Anything else is external. And so that's what, that's what baptism is. It's a wonderful thing. And, and both John and Jesus uh, participated in that symbol. Although they were both foreshadowing what the Spirit was to do. Now, let's go to the issue of... How come John still baptized him as Jesus is there? Well, there's, there's two real issues here. Number one, you know, John didn't understand yet all the implications of Jesus coming into the world. I mean, do we? <laughs> we haven't. And, and the thing to do, if you can't understand all the implications, all the spiritual implications of Jesus being in your life, the best thing to do is just keep doing what you did before. That was always right. Just do what you know to do. That's what John did. He didn't understand all the things, but, but he knew people were coming to him and they still needed baptizing, so he baptized them. 
It's, it's, life, life gets fairly simple when you just tell yourself this. I'm going to do what I know to do that's right. That's, that's, that's your responsibility. Along the way, God starts revealing stuff to you. Um, but, but, but you just do what you know is the right thing to do until you know the next thing to do. And that's a very, very simple way to live life, and it's a good way to live life. And that's the life that John was living. Now you might ask yourself, why were John's disciples still with him? If John had come to point everybody to Jesus and Jesus was here, how come there were still some people, some, some disciples with him? Well, again, you've got to remember that spiritual maturity doesn't happen all at once. How many of you, when you first came to Christ, when you first got saved, how many of you could direct directly to Jesus, relate directly to Jesus Christ? You could listen to him. He was talking to you, and that was that. You didn't, you didn't really need to, you know. Yeah, not very many, huh? No, what you did is you, you heard Jesus through the people who had pointed you to him in the first place. And you stuck for a while with those intermediaries because that's how you could hear him best. And then as you grew, you started relating more and more directly to Jesus. Well, that's, this is that time. There's still some disciples with John. Now watch this. They're not spiritually mature because they're, they are loyal to John to the exclusion of Jesus. Now, this is what I think is, is rather interesting. The very people, the very group that raised up the first disciples for Christ, that followed Jesus Christ first. It's in that group that there are people who are most offended at him at first. Why? Well, frankly, when you are in the ministry, you will sooner or later see what God meant as a, as a compliment to your ministry, what God has allowed as teamwork, you will see it, especially if you're not very, very spiritually mature, as competition. And that's exactly what those disciples saw. They thought Jesus was their competition. The very people, the very one who came down to, to fulfill what they had started, they saw as competition to their master, the one they were still loyal to. Do you ever notice somebody, do you ever, do you ever see somebody who, who loved their teacher almost more than they loved God? I mean, they, they, they didn't really want to listen, they didn't want to read scripture, they just want to listen to their teacher. They didn't want to hear from God, they just wanted to hear from their teacher. And that's, and that's the position of these, of these folks. Not only that, they're mad because, because they're, they're, Jesus is getting all this attention. And so they come to John the Baptist... And they do what is characteristic of us all. Now watch. Anytime you're in spiritual leadership, sooner or later you're going to have your spiritual leadership challenged by something. It's just, and all of you, if you're Christians, are in spiritual leadership. Like it or not, God didn't come just to get you into heaven. Jesus Christ didn't die just to get you safely into heaven. He came to use you to get heaven into the world. And so he's called all of you who are in Christ into the ministry. Some sort of ministry. Anything you do well, that's a ministry. That's part of what we're saying today. But here's what's going to happen. Sooner or later, somebody's going to come along and say, you know what? They got a more popular ministry than you do. And, and, and the defenders of yours, 
And I want you to see this. How Satan uses the voices of our friends, if not our own voice, to get us defensive in the very realms we should be grateful. What happens when they come to John the Baptist and they say this, Hey, Rabbi, in other words, you're still our teacher. Do you know the, the one that is beyond the, the Jordan? They wouldn't even name him. See, it's, it's easier to get mad if you don't name a person, if you just stick with an issue. It's not about people, it's about issues. It's easier to stay mad there because you don't realize you're dealing with people who, with feelings, you know, who have real lives. So they won't even name Jesus. You know that one? You know that one? And then they said this, whom you bore witness to. Now, one of the ways that Satan can get us mad at each other. In the first place, I want you to notice, he doesn't use people, the voice of people we hate because he knows we won't listen to him. So he gets into the voices of the people who, who we not only love, but who are trying to defend us. Usually we get offended because we've been unjustly slighted. And so these voices will try to defend. I'm just trying to defend you here. And, and that's the voice we like to listen to. We'll kind of get, we're going to kind of get on a, a deal there. And if it's not the voice of a friend, it's usually our own voice. I like the person who said, you know, I heard Satan last week. He used a voice that really a lot sounded like mine. That's, that's, that's how he does. So it's either a voice of a friend or it's our own voice. But it's always, watch this, it's always, you know what? You're, you're the, you started this guy out, who you have borne witness to. He wouldn't be where he is if it wasn't for you. You made him. And now who does he think he is? Now any normal person would go, yeah. I, well, I'm the one that pointed to him. I'm the one that baptized him. And then they said this. He's getting all the people. You know? That, now, now that's not true because if you read verse 23, it says people were coming to John. They were all being baptized. He still had plenty of people. But these voices that threaten what we think is our spiritual authority, they, they come and say, you know what? They're all going to leave. Oh, this is it. Oh, no, it's all over. You know, they panic. They panic. Now, here's the lesson I want us all to learn from this. I want us to understand that there will come spiritual challenges to our spiritual authorities and I want us all to do as John did and just not go there at all. Because there are some battles that you can, you can win in this world by political means. There are some battles that you can win in this world by, by exerting power. But spiritual leadership is not one of them. You can never get spiritual leadership by means of power. The Bible says not by might. Not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And John was mature enough in the faith to know that unless God gives you leadership, you don't have leadership. It doesn't matter what your office is. It doesn't matter how many people are coming or going. Unless, you have, unless God gives you leadership, unless that leadership comes out of your character, out of your ministry, out of your service, you haven't got it. So there's absolutely no, I've been in the ministry for 30 years now, and I've seen more than one political battle in a church, more than one challenge to spiritual leadership and my spiritual leadership. And the only 
the only ones of those that I regret are the ones that I chose to win. I will never choose to win in that form ever again. And I haven't been, I haven't been there in a while. And I want you all to have that relaxation because even when you win, you lose. All right? Okay, John knew that. Now read on with me. Read, read his, this, I love this guy. Look at what he says next. He doesn't look, look, look at his numbers. He looks at Jesus. And he looks at God and he says, John answered and said, this is verse 27. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Now, this, it, it'd be good, for, by the way, all of you who have been called into to Christ and, and know that you have a ministry, it'd be good every day to get up and say, I am not the Christ, I am not the Christ, I am not the Christ. <laughs> Repeat that three times. I mean, really, because your life, you will always be sucked into things where you think you, it's your job to be the Savior. It, you think it's your job to make things come out right. And, and, and if you get up every day and say, I'm not the Christ, I'm not the Christ, I'm not the Christ, that really will help you out. <laughs> All right? You've just been sent before him. Okay. But the, but the point that's going on here with John is that he's, he's looking at God. He's looking at God. You know, I want to tell you that Zacharias and Elizabeth raised a good boy. I, I try to imagine them sometimes being given a child when they're that old. It must have been very difficult. I mean, they must have been tired from day one. Some of you guys are just tired. I, I, you're in your 20s, you're tired, for crying out loud. I mean, the parenting is totally exhausting, isn't it? And I can just see them, and they're in their 80s or whatever, you know, and they're trying to raise this kid. And you think, how did they do here? And in some ways, I, I think they probably... You know, uh, let, me just, let me just say, I don't think that they were, they were as, uh, as uh, in tune socially. Uh, John was not a very socially um, uh, um, smooth character. Um, he was, he was um, challenged in his wardrobe. Uh, he, was, he was garmently challenged, I guess you could call it. Uh, the guy wore a, a, a camel hair shirt. Now, that, that wasn't even in style back then. <laughs> and so I had this camel hair shirt, it had you know, the black belt. Uh, he, 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 he was dietetically challenged. He ate bugs, for crying out loud. <laughs> Not a guy that you would just invite to come over to your table at lunch. It was just, you know, he's eating locusts. It's just, he's not, he yelled at people. Just yelled at it. Yelled truth, but he yelled at people. John was just different. You know, he was just different. And I can see these two people go, oh man, you know. But let me tell you what they did with John. They had had a record in their life of serving God, whether they were rewarded in the way they wanted to be rewarded or not. And that's what John picked up. John looked at that long, that John looked at that service and, 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 and John wanted to serve there too. And so when this came, when this came, this change, he just saw God. He didn't see men. He didn't take a look at men. He just saw God. I want to, I want to encourage you to do the same thing. When change comes in your life, especially change that's threatening, I want you to say, hmm, God's working here. I don't want you to think, wait a minute, there goes my people. <laughs> wait a minute, I'm losing out here. No, God's working here. 
When change comes in that you gain, you say, I don't want you to say, hmm, yeah, all right, I've gained. No, God's working here. Because the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's his business. That's not our business. Our business is just to watch him move and to know he's moving. And then John gives this wonderful analogy. He says, in essence, these have... He's saying, to his, he's saying to his disciples, I never, these were never my people. Look at the very next verse in here. The very next verse says this. And this is what you've got to know as a spiritual leader. Verse 29. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So... This joy of mine has been made full. He must increase. The, word, the Greek word here is D. And, and it means, it means uh, providential. It means God, God's making it happen. He must increase, but I must decrease. Let me just teach you two things. The imagery here is of a wedding. Back in that day, the, the bridegroom was not... <laughs> this is the same as in this day... Um, or in my time, anyhow, the bridegroom wasn't very active in the arrangements of the wedding. Um, but, but representing him and making all the arrangements was what we would call the best man, the shushpan. Um, and and he, it was his job to make all the arrangements to make sure everybody knew what they were doing. But watch this. His chief job was to guard the bridal chamber. No one could come into that bride without going through that guy. And he was to protect her purity, her reputation, her, 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 (laughs) on behalf of the bridegroom. Now watch. To even think that that best man would have personal interest in that bride was the highest of of traitorous charges, Was, was the most devastating of character assassination because it was his job to protect that bride only for the bridegroom. And so you can see why when he heard the bridegroom's voice, he was absolutely thrilled because he had fulfilled his responsibility and now he could step aside. What John is saying is these were never my people. They were always God's people. You know, those of us who go along, just, it's just a flesh thought. It's, just, it's a perfectly understandable. But you go along and you say, well, this is kind of my deal. This is my ministry. This is my small group. These are my friends. This is my Bible study at work. This is my, and, and when something threatens that, you go, wait a minute. That's my. No, it was never yours. You, you were in the role of, of protecting and delivering to Christ. That's, that's your only role. And when Christ comes, then there's this sense of joy and fulfillment and relief. Yeah, you say, because it's the way it ought to be. He must increase. I must decrease. I heard, I, I heard a couple of, of analogies to this. One, um, Janet sent uh, us just a little cute story about a little girl who, who'd uh, come, out of, come out of the church. And... Uh, and, and she said, Mommy, I, I didn't, she was a very smart little girl. And she said, I didn't, the pastor's sermon really confused me. And, and, uh, 
And the mother said, well, like how? And the little girl said, well, let me get this straight. The pastor said that God is bigger than we are, right? And the mother said, yeah. And she said, and the pastor also said that God lives inside us, right? The mother said, yeah. And the little girl paused for a second and said this. Then shouldn't he be showing? (laughs) There's the sermon for you. He must increase. We must decrease. God is really bigger. He ought to be shown by now. He ought to be. Somebody, somebody else stopped me in the hallway and said, she thinks of it like, a, like God filling up a balloon. You know, he's the breath. And the, as the balloon expands, it looks like the balloon is getting bigger. But it's just getting thinner. And it's more of God. See? Now that's what John was, was seeing. He was seeing, you know, I still got a little bit. But it's more of God. He must increase. I must decrease. Now look at what else he says. He says, he starts to differentiate between heaven and earth. Between the heavenly role that Christ plays and the earthly roles that we play. And the earthly roles are valuable. But they're, they're just not striking in comparison. I want, I want to remind you of our definition of humility. Our definition of humility is not to disregard what God has given us or what God has made us. We are, we are not about uh, trashing ourselves. God made us. But this is not about self-esteem. This is about God-esteem. This is about appreciating God for what He's given us. So therefore, our definition of humility is that we don't think less of ourselves. We think of ourselves less. And, when, when, and this is how John writes. Look at this. Verse 31, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth, he's talking about himself now, is from the earth and speaks of the earth. But he who comes from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard of that uh, he bears witness and no man receives his witness. But he who does receive his witness has set his seal on this. God is true. For whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. There's a, there's a rabbinical reference that you wouldn't uh, think of here, but the rabbis used to have a saying about the prophets, that the Holy Spirit does not rest on the prophets but by measure. In other words, the prophets only got a piece of the Holy Spirit. But when he, when he, when he talks about the Son, the Son has all the Holy Spirit, without measure. He says, and the Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hands, including our works and what we contribute to the world. And in, their, in, 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 their, in, in being constructive, what we contribute to the kingdom. Now again, when, we, when you come to those cards, we just want you to, at any time, when it strikes your just write down on a card one thing you do well. It doesn't have to be religious. As a matter of fact... We want everybody to understand, and this is why we do this at all, that worship is not about being religious. Worship is about bringing our whole life to God. Worship is not an event. It's a continual action. Worship doesn't just happen in the church. Worship happens every day. And until we can link those everyday talents and, and, and abilities and actions with worship... We will always stay kind of closed-in Christians and only relate to God in a certain sphere. And that 
produces a very immature Christian. So when you write down these things, you say, you know what, I'm a good mom. I'm a good cook. I, I, I'm a good mechanic. I'm a good, I, you know, you just, then, you, then you get an idea. Ooh, all things, all things to God. Look what he says right at the end here. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. Now. <laughs> but he who does not obey the Son, notice how belief and obedience are tied together. Belief in the Bible is not intellectual assent, not merely intellectual assent. It's your life being replaced with the life of God, has eternal life. That's belief. He who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. I want you to notice here, all year long we're talking about seeing the eternal in everyday life. In the ordinary things. How can you see that? You can see it when God comes and lives inside of you. And you see the same things totally different. If you don't have the Son of God living in you. You, watch this, see spiritual stuff. But you think it's fake. You think, oh, that's not, that's not, that's not real. That's not, those people, those people act, they act happy all the time. But they're faking it. They just need to act that. They need to play the role. Those people, those people say they can rejoice in all circumstances. You know what? They're in denial. They're not facing the pain of life because it's about pain. It's all about pain management. No, it's not all about pain management. But unless you're a Christian, you don't understand that. You don't understand how you could literally see Every event as a movement of God and rejoice that he is fulfilling his purposes for your life. Unless you're a Christian, you have no clue. You, when, you, when, you, when you see, before you were a believer, didn't you see people say, who had been crushed by other people, absolutely crushed. And you, you knew genuine Christians, but they said to you, you know what, I've not only forgiven them, I've forgotten all about that. And you thought, no way they're faking. Come on. They're just putting on a happy face, you know, and just going along, whistling like nothing went wrong. They're in denial. Until you have Christ living in you, you don't realize, literally, you can be absolutely crushed and be okay. Literally be joyful. Literally not dwell on it. Literally forget about it and go on with your life and love those people like they never hurt you. That's the life of Christ. But unless you have the Son, you can't see it. You can't see it. Well, let's go back, and, and, and we're going to draw the worship to conclusion here. But I, but I want you to see that, that what generally this is talking about, if you have your scriptures with you, turn to Revelation chapter 4 real quick. What generally this scripture is talking about, what John continued to do and continued to contribute, and what was a valuable role, a continuing valuable role that we all have, were things that he did well. And he, he just went right on with them, not realizing all the theological implications, didn't know all that. But there were things he did well. And he wasn't, he wasn't ashamed of them. He was glad to contribute them. And God wants us to be glad to contribute them. But when it comes to worship, the higher we go in the altitude, in the spiritual world, the, higher we, the closer we come to Christ, so to speak, the more we're going to see... That whereas we're glad to have those things because God gave them to us, those rewards because God gave them to us, they're nothing to stand 
in the presence of God. You, you just don't, you don't want to wear them. You don't want to be there. It says in Revelation chapter 4, there's a little peek into heaven. And it says in verse 10, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy art thou, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. What's happening there? What's happening in our lives? Well, there are lives, there are places in our lives we feel great about because we can do them. We know we can do them. They might be just simple stuff, but it's stuff we do well. And, and, and we're glad about that. And we ought to be glad about that. Because it's part of God's gift to us to give to the world. But there was a time in Paul's life, as there is a time in ours, when we realize more and more the grace that was given to us. And it looks like we are more and more <laughs> um, um, careful about who we are. In the presence of God. When John, in John's first letter to the Corinthians, he wrote, I'm the least of all the apostles. Now that looks like modesty until you look at the group. I'm the least of all the apostles. Then in Ephesians, he wrote this. I'm the least of all the saints. As he went on in his Christian maturity, in his spiritual maturity, he looked at all the church and he said, you know what? I realized what God had to do in me. I'm the least of all the saints. And then in 1 Timothy, he, he, after, he had, after he'd gone on in his spiritual life and, and ascended to another level of his spiritual life, guess, what, guess how he described himself? I'm the chief of all the sinners. I mean, he said, boy, there's nobody more rotten than I am. Now, that wasn't feeling bad about himself. That was feeling grateful for the grace that God had given him and the role that God had given him in the church. He couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. It was, his, it was comparison to, to who God was. You remember, some of you remember, when you're, I don't know where they, get, where they have these now, but, but little boys, when I was growing up, little boys wanted to get sheriff's badges. And so we would go to the store and we'd buy ourselves a sheriff's badge, you know, little tin sheriff's badges. And, 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 and we knew they were fake when we bought them because there was like 50 of them there, you know, they cost a dime, you know. But we'd wear them. But after you wear them a while, you know, you kind of start to wonder if, Maybe it wasn't real. Maybe it didn't have some real authority. I mean, it was a badge and everything. And so you started kind of feeling the authority. And, 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 and you'd go to your mom and say, do you, do you suppose maybe this is just a little bit different and this is the real sheriff's badge? And your mother would look at you and say, because she was trying to be nice, you know, mothers are nice. She'd say, well, I think that is. I think that's a real sheriff's badge. Boy, man, you'd you know, go out in the neighborhood, make several arrests. <laughs> you know, just trying to straighten it out, trying to straighten the neighborhood out. Kind of take authority, you know, but you felt, you felt that you had the authority. Let me ask you something. What if you were to have that sheriff's badge on now and be standing beside the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff? The, the, the commander of all of the armies of the nation and you had your little sheriff's badge. What would you do? <laughs> do you remember when you were growing up, some of you got those easy bake ovens? Had a little light on them, you know, and, a little, and you just stir up the thing and you put the cake in there and, and like, you know, and you thought, man, I can cook. <laughs> Let me ask you, if Martha Stewart <laughs> came over to your house, you know, and you had the easy bake oven, you know, what would you do? 
So you, well, sheriff's badges are cool and easy bake ovens are wonderful and, 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 they, and they served a function. But in comparison to Christ, that's when, that's when we need not to abdicate them, but to dedicate them. That's when we need to say, God, thank you for this, but I'm giving it to you. I'm, I'm presenting it to you because that's the appropriate thing to do. And the more spiritually mature you get, the more you'll understand that. I heard a story sometime, uh, last week. Um, Becky read it, actually, and, and uh, um, it was about a, a, a man who was a, was a mountain climber, and he hired two guys to take him up to this, this very high place in the Alps. And so they took him up there, and, and he was just about to go on to the plateau, that, that was beyond the snow, and it was beyond the snow because the winds were so rugged. They were so, uh, the velocity of the winds was so high at this high place that they could literally blow a man off who was standing up. Well, they took him up there and they had told him about that. But as they split to let him be the first one to step onto that plateau so that he could be the first one to see that site, he had forgotten all that they had said. And in his enthusiasm, he just hopped up, standing up. And before or while the wind was literally blowing him off to his death, they grabbed him and they pulled him down. And one of them said, on your knees, sir, the only place you're safe when you're this high is on your knees. Pray with me. God, thank you for bringing us up to you. Thank you for the unbelievable invitation to be in your presence. We do thank you for the gifts that you've given us, for what we can contribute, for the things we do well, for the ways in which we build up the world. But God, we don't want to just thank you. We want to dedicate those to you. We want, to, we want you to know this morning that as we use those, as we do those, those are acts of worship. They are acts of humility, not acts of pride, but acts of gratitude. So, Lord, thank you. Help us to worship you now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?